Good to have you guys all here. Thanks for being here this morning. Right on the cusp of, uh, of local summer, right? You guys know about this, right? Um, there's the summer and then there's local summer that shh begins right now. I, and not so much for the kids that left. Sorry about that, guys. But for the rest of us, right? The quiet town, but like still warm, enjoy the time. Anyway, um, I love this time. Is anybody else out there, this is the best season of the year? Yeah, like fall. Fall is the best. Um, so I told you last week that um, I'm doing something new. I, I just started teaching a, a seminary class this year. And, uh, which was super fun. I, my first class was on Zoom, so I was a little bit nervous about it. And like, honestly, right beforehand, everything was going wrong, but the class itself went perfect. So praise the Lord. It was kind of an overview of the whole course that we were about to, um, take part in. And so I went through the syllabus, gave kind of a class overview and, um, and anyway, I, I'm trying to, to separate these two worlds, but, but sort of struggling because it's back to school. And as I was reading through our text for today, I, I was thinking, um, it kind of reads like a course syllabus. And so I thought maybe what we would do today is go through the syllabus, if that's all right with you guys. Um, this is a little bit different for us, but um, oh gosh, and... My, my notes are not coming up. So, uh. It's right, exactly. Do you want to grab my computer from my office? So, anyway. Clearly, clearly there was grace there and not so much here. Um, but the course title that you guys are all enrolled in, whether you know it or not, do you want to put up that first slide? Nope. <laughs> this is going to be rough. Um, exactly. It starts with uh, Transformation 101. Do you see that slide? No. Just so you know, this is the class that you're signed up for. Transformation 101. Now... No. We we can do this. Um, Transformation 101 is basically, this is the course that you're all currently enrolled in. And I want to explain a little bit more about transformation, but before we do that, I've got to find it here. <laughs> Thank you, Gil. Oh, here it is. It's going from two monitors to one. I got it on the fly. So welcome to a new year. <laughs> um, transformation is something that is a term, like as Patty's sharing about, we've got this event coming up on the 30th, talking about spiritual formation. And sometimes this is a word that can feel a little bit mysterious to us. What is formation? What do we mean when we talk about formation? Um, but really, for Paul, it was the way that he described discipleship. That, uh, interesting, interestingly enough, that, uh, discipleship was a term that Jesus held on to within kind of the context of Judaism. They understood this whole system of rabbis and following the rabbi, becoming like the rabbi, 
bearing the yoke of the rabbi, that when the rabbi would say, follow me, he meant, come and do what I do. And so Jesus took that term disciple and called us to become like him. But Paul chose a different word. He, he chose this idea of transformation, that we're not just following in the footsteps of Christ, but becoming like Christ, that our minds are changing to think like Christ, that our hearts are enlarging to love like Christ. And this is for Paul. He, he's going to, in Romans 12, he's going to talk about what he describes as like right at the heart of this course. He says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For Paul, that was the course. Transformation, to become like Christ, to have the mind of Christ, to be able to know and see the good, to choose the good. This is what Jesus would describe as abundant life, how to live, not just some like abstract concept, but something that intersected right with life itself. And when we think about a course, this course in transformation, it's not some lofty idea, right? It's not some abstract thought. It's a course that we might describe as praxis. Have you heard that word before? That praxis really is a way of learning that involves practice. It's kind of like going to the lab when you're taking a science, right? You might sit in a chemistry lecture and learn about all these different formulas and equations, but the lab's where you mix the compounds together and see the reaction. And transformation for Paul was not just understanding spiritual theology or understanding interesting ethical ideas. It intersected with real life. It affected everything about it. It affected our vocations. It affected our relationships. It affected the very way that we live. That having the mind of Christ being transformed into this new way of thinking would fundamentally change every aspect of our lives. And as you go through this course, if you're wondering what, you know, as you look on the syllabus, what is our primary text? That's clear. Our primary text as we study this idea of transformation is the Bible, which is story after story of transformation. Part of the brilliance of the book is it invites us into other stories as they walk through this pattern of changing their minds, renewal of their minds. Paul's going to talk about not being stuck in the patterns of this world. And this is what you find out as you read through Scripture is there's a way of thinking that's been disrupted, a, a small way of thinking that's become sort of contagious, it's infected us, and this needs to be changed. That we need to learn how to think in a way that's renewed, that goes deeper, that understands what is at the heart of God and what we're called to. Does this class sound interesting to you? Hey, hey, because it's not optional, just so you know. <laughs> We're all, we're all in this course, that transformation is a part of our life, that we're all being formed in one way or the other. We're either having our minds transformed to look more like God's kingdom, or, if we're not so careful, having our minds shaped into the patterns of this world. 
that we don't live in this space that's benign. We're constantly being affected. And as it turns out, we're constantly affecting the world. That our lives are so intertwined with each other that we cannot help but sort of spill out and others are spilling into us. That this happens not in a vacuum. It happens in a sort of cohort. And my role in this class is not your professor, just so you know. I'm like the TA of the class. You ever have a teacher's aide in your class that kind of comes in and, and fills in, that like provides a sort of little in- intermediary link? But the truth is, you're involved in this class and you have a teacher, and this teacher is what Scripture refers to as the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 says, But the teacher, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And so this is the course. Again, it's not optional. You're in it. And so the question is going to be, how do you lean into this work? Do you do it with intentionality? Do you do it with an openness to learn and to grow? Or are you instead just following the natural patterns of this world? In this course, as you're going through it, just know outside reading is encouraged. It is important for us to understand these ideas, not in isolation, but as they fit within the whole understanding of this world. That we know what God's kingdom is and recognize it in contrast to the old patterns of this world. And that as we're learning this, we're learning to discern the good, which is like this invitation to something better. I I was listening to something this morning. It was like one of these sort of positive affirmations. And the person that was sharing this said, just say this to yourself. I'm on the verge of one of the best chapters of my life. And I thought, okay, is that true? (laughs) Are we? Are you? And the answer is you are as we come into this next semester. As we think about this idea of renewal of our minds, as we think of this idea of transformation, why is this going to be one of the best chapters of your life? Because if you apply yourself to this, you are going to know more and more fully what is good. And that this goodness is the thing that brings our hearts to life. And having that deep understanding of the beauty of this life and how to live it, this is the invitation that's made. Teaching us how to live life well. And when we understand a sort of heavenly metric, we understand how to live lives of fullness and joy. Not lives of constant comparison and anxiety. We we talked about last week about kind of the the culture that we find ourselves in, this worldly culture. And and I use these two acronyms. Um, The first one, VUCA, right? Remember this from last week? Uh, This was the description previously of this world that we lived in, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And how they've now replaced that with this new term, BANI, which stands for brittle, anxious, nonlinear, and incomprehensible. And when we think about the patterns of this world, this is what these patterns feel like. 
they're sort of degenerating into this brittleness, into this anxiousness, something that feels incomprehensible. They would call this like the zeitgeist. Have you heard that? It's kind of like the, the spirit of the world that you find yourselves in. And that we are called to instead live in a way that contrasts that, that is free from that, and that inspires hope for others to live the same way. And this happens in what Jesus is going to call the the kingdom, to bring this sort of new transformed way of living to this world. And it's not up to each one of you alone. It's something that we do together. And I love this about small church, is that we get to go through this course as a cohort. I was looking at this the other day. Somebody was mentioning how cohort learning is becoming like a a very um, common model that colleges are using to encourage people of traveling together through that course material, but it's also really strengthening retention. And the reason for that is when life gets busy and things get difficult, rather than opting out of the course, people realize, oh, wait, if I step back, my cohort is going to go on without me. And so people are reconsidering and going, maybe I'll stick with it, right? Because I want to stick with my people. I want to stick with my cohort. And as I think about our syllabus and what we go through, I want to remind you that so much of the learning that really takes place happens within, within the midst of us as a cohort. It's one of the gifts of a church, and I think one of the gifts of a small church the relationships, the way that we learn from each other, the way that we're encouraged, the way that when we stumble, we get picked up. And the reason I'm talking about this culture is it's where Paul is going to go in our passage today. As he describes transformation as right at the heart of this spiritual journey, he's going to go on and describe this is what the culture of this cohort should feel like. And it's an overview that he's going to go through. It's 12 different points that really could amount to 12 different sermons, which is why we're going to kind of take the drone view of it today, if that sounds all right. Looking at this whole course, understanding this is what we are doing Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, that we gather together and remind each other this is the journey that we link arms with each other and encourage each other to participate in this work as our minds are changed and transformed. Something that I love about the class that I'm teaching is that I have like a few people that are like 21, like right out of undergrad, and I've got people that are like 65 on the verge of retirement coming back to seminary. You have this whole breadth of experience, and then you get to watch them kind of interact with each other encourage each other, learn from each other. And this to me is like one of the greatest gifts of church. It's like one of the joys of doing this with all different generations, all different places at life. Some of you have been Christians for your whole lives. Some of you are brand new in your faith. That this all works together to encourage and to remind, to spur each other on. And so, all that being said... Here's our passage for today, Romans 12, 9 through 21. And let this sort of just soak in as an overview. Here is the culture that we create together. Romans 12, 9 through 21. 
Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. It's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot for one morning. It's a lot for a semester. In fact, this is the truth, is you're going to be learning this for the rest of your life. We never, I think graduate from this Transformation 101 course. It it lasts for as long as we're here on earth. Your graduation will happen, but I think on the other side of the veil. But Paul is saying, lean into this work. This is what you do. This is what the pattern of God's kingdom looks like. And, And he starts with these three imperatives. Here's what you do. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And he could probably just stop right there, but, but the rest of this kind of fleshes out what that means. But letting love be genuine, that is what we're here to do. That's what that transformation looks like, an integrity, right? It, it basically means this, love without hypocrisy, You think of all the times that we love other people like in a sort of polite, tolerant way, right? But this course, this transformation is helping us love from that place of true integrity and purity of heart. And that we don't love those who have something to give to us. We, we love those for who they really are. We get this ability to see right into each other's hearts. And not just the hearts of those we're sitting next to, but as we see as we go down, from those who have even wronged us, from those who have done something that's offended or caused us harm. This lesson of love is going to take so much practice, so much work. And so he spells out ways that we can do that. Before we get to that, abhor what is evil, right? Let the things that are wrong in this world be felt as wrong. 
And it's a danger to sin. It's a danger to the things in this world that, that they have this sort of heart effect. They, they desensitize us, right? And, and think about that. You think about the things that used to offend us. Probably at this point, out of familiarity, we get sort of callous to until eventually we're chuckling about it, right? We, we find those things that were once offensive to be no big deal. We rationalize those areas of compromise. And thinking about what abhorring what is evil is understanding the things that hurt God's heart and letting those things hurt our hearts as well. Not just hypocrisy, but contempt and judgment, self-righteousness, bitterness, unforgiveness. These are like the seeds in our hearts. We're being taught a new way to think. And how often do we find ourselves thinking with fear and judgment? I talked about this idea of banny, right? The, the brittle, anxious. That word actually is the Norse word for death. How great is that? We're being challenged to think in a different way. And there was an article that came out by David Brooks this last week. And, and he was asking these two questions. He was saying, why... Are Americans so sad? And why are Americans so mean? And such an interest, and then he just piled it with statistics, statistics of isolation and withdrawal, and then this increase of violence and what's taking place online. We live in a world that's becoming mean. And we live in this world that's becoming violent and lonely and sad. This transforming of our minds is learning to know and understand the good, to respond with love and compassion, hopefulness. It's going right against these patterns of this world, setting us free from those things, helping us understand the things that are true and good and beautiful. And he's saying, when you find those things, you cling to them. Right? You hold on to those things tightly. I love this. Love with integrity. Abhor what is wrong. Cling to the good. You wonder how many thoughts that go through our mind are, are about what is beautiful in this world. It's so often, if you're like me, you're drawn, whether it's in fear or self-protection or something like this, to, to sort of anticipating the worst case, right? Does anybody else do this, right? Like what could go wrong? And how this sets us on our guards, prepared to like go into this world like with our shield up. And what's being described here is a world where we're going into it with our guard down, going into it with courage, but with our whole heart. That love becomes this sort of shield for us that, that disarms. And so this is what we find. I'm going to kind of like label these into four different categories here. You, each of these to me is a sermon. But, um, uh, but the first thing that we find is Paul is saying, when you love, do it with this like tenacious commitment. Paul takes all these Greek words that talk about familial love, and he, he says that is the way to love. That we are to love each other like brothers and sisters. We are to love each other like family. 
which immediately ends a lot of complexity, doesn't it? But, but the, you think about this, that, that so often when we go through life, we're, we're kind of evaluating people on what do you have to offer me or what, what do we have in common or do we really resonate or do we fit? And, and Paul's going, no, 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 you, you love each other like brothers and sisters, like siblings. That you guys are tied together and tied together for a purpose. Which means when things get hard, you remain. When things get complex, you stay. Scott Peck, he is a psychologist for, I, you know, I read his books years ago, but he, he talks about this idea of community. The only way you get to real community is to go through difficulty. That the immediate sense of like, oh, we just love each other is what he calls pseudo-community. And he just goes, it's got no guts to it. That real community involves generally some level of disruption, chaos, he would say emptiness. And that by remaining in love, enduring in love, is where we find the real thing. That the community that we seek, the belonging comes on the other side. Love is tenacious. It loves with this deep familial affection. Number two, love is selfless. And for Paul, this was always what he was encouraging. And you read the book of Philippians, it's all about this. Consider others as more important than yourself. Think about this in contrast to the world, which is look out for yourself, protect yourself, achieve what you are to achieve. Paul's saying, no, honor one another. In fact, outdo one another with honor. Treat each other as valuable and precious. Like, call out the good in one another. This is the culture that you're creating within the church, a culture of honoring One of the ways that we honor each other is by listening to each other, seeking to understand one another. You think of in a world that is so brittle, we're constantly looking for what's wrong, constantly looking for what's flawed or off on the other person's views. But a culture of honor, a culture of selfless love is constantly looking for the the intersection of agreement, seeking to understand the values that others hold to. I love how Steve and Marie, before they come to church, pray about somebody maybe that they could connect with when they're here. God, show us who you would have us reach out to. I love that. That that when you come to this class, you come to participate in this learning to love like Christ. And when you do, you come not for what you can get, but what you can give. When you sit out at a table in the courtyard and share a meal with somebody, you look to get to know people, not just to be known. You get to listen and hear, not just speak. All right, number three. (laughs) And I love this one, that love perseveres through prayer. And as Paul is going into this, he, he's describing this way of living and he's going to say, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You, you see this like loving others and loving God are, are kind of inseparable from each other. That this prayerful way of living is not about somehow mustering up the strength to love, but it's about drawing on the source. How do we learn to love like Christ loves? Prayer. Ask for help. Realize that your instructor is right there with you and draw on that wisdom. There's a line from Abraham Heschel where he says, a prophet's true greatness is his ability to hold God and man in a single thought. Isn't that interesting? To hold God and man in a single thought. Jesus said, here's what you do. Here's your command. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That the first and the second are, are almost a repeat of each other. How do you love God? By loving others. And when you love others... You love God. That we draw on God's love and it's from that well that we serve. It's that water that we give others to drink. This goes all the way back to the very beginning of Israel's story where God says to Abraham, you are going to be the blessed ones because you get to bless others. All the hospitality, the reaching out, the generosity, all of these things are the way to live in the goodness. When we talk about the renewal of our mind, it's this simple little point that it's better to give than to receive. But what we give is not simply our little loaves and fish. What we give is out of the abundance of what God has given us. We're not merely seeking to understand ourselves. We're seeking to empathize with others. And so love is more than just persevering through prayer. Love is visibly empathizing and entering in to the worlds of others. And as Paul teaches us, he's going to say, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be a haughty, but associate with the lowly. And empathy, empathy can be difficult for us. When somebody else is doing well, I, I can tend to be a little bit resentful of that, a little bit jealous of that. When somebody is struggling, I, I can tend to hold it at arm's length. Both of those resemble the patterns of this world. And, and Paul is telling us here, no, the opposite is true. When somebody is rejoicing, you enter into their joy. When somebody is mourning, enter into their pain. Not in a way to fix it. <laughs> Not in a way to hijack it with your own story, but entering into that place of vulnerability. We're to do this even as it turns out with our enemies. And this is where it gets really hard, at least for me. I, I think of this 
tendency in myself to withdraw from anything that feels like too much conflict. And what you have is Paul saying, go into those situations that are difficult with grace, with forgiveness, serving those who have hurt you. I think of a time in my life as one of my biggest regrets, and it's just this simple little moment, but it was to me where I felt this deep conviction of the pattern of the world versus what I was being invited into. And I was at this event, and this is a while ago, and, uh, and at this event, it turned out there was somebody there that I had felt really slighted by. And it turns out this event was just delightful. I found myself with a group of just dear friends that were there, and we were having just a marvelous time. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this person who had hurt me with just the saddest expression on their face. Dejected and alone. And I thought to myself, it's not my problem. Not my responsibility. And so I didn't do anything about it. And I still, to this day, when I think back on it, think with such sadness. I think the pattern of this world would say like, yeah, Jeff, good, karma. And God's saying, no, no, no. This is not what the kingdom of heaven does. The the kingdom of heaven takes joy and blessing and it reaches out to everybody. It sees how we're all connected to each other. It sees the best in each other. It extends grace and mercy. And if we go all the way back to the beginning of Romans 12, Paul's going to say that the thing, the catalyst to this all is God's mercy for you is what allows you to extend mercy to others. I'm grateful for that moment because it reminds me, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live this small story caught up in comparison and insecurity and anxiety and offense. I want to live in this space of hopefulness. And Jesus is saying, that's the course. You're signed up. I want to teach you how to live in this way. And when you do, you will start to see the goodness all around you. Because God is there and at work even in the smallest little things. When we're turned inward, we miss it. We miss it in all our fear and insecurity. When we're freed up from that, we notice it. I want to read a poem for you guys. Can we do that? It's one that I, Patty shared with me the other day. And it's called The Rungs. And it's by this guy, Benjamin Gucciardi. And it's, to me, it's a marvelous poem about noticing and seeing the simple good and kind of what we're here to do. And it happens within this group exercise that he's facilitating. And the poem says this, only the person with the green dice should be talking. I remind the boys holding up the oversized foam cubes. And the others should be listening, Kay says. And how should we listen? I don't speak Spanish, but I'll give it a shot. Con el corazón, M replies, thumping his chest with his closed fist. That's right, I say. 
with the heart. Who wants to start? The dice are passed around the circle and the boys gloss over the check-in question. When they reach B, who walked here unaccompanied from Honduras three months ago, he holds them like boulders. We straighten when his lip begins to quiver. It's not my place to tell you what he shared that day, but I can tell you how M put his hand on B's back and said, Mahe deshogate, which translates roughly to undrown yourself. Though no English phrase so willingly accepts that everyone has drowned and that we can reverse that gasping, expel the fluids from our lungs. I sit quietly as the boys make with their body the rungs of a ladder and B climbs up from the current, sits in the sun for a good few, for a few good minutes before he jumps back in. The dice finish the round and we are well over time. I resist the urge to speak about rafts, what it means to float. Good, I tell them, let's go back to class. After handshakes and side hugs, I'm left alone in the small room with a box of unopened tissues, two Starburst wrappers on the ground. I love this poem. To me, I think it it gets at something um, so ordinary and yet so sacred how the sacred space can be right there in these moments of uh, that we're not prepared for almost. Where love is so embodied. I love the kind of physicality of this poem. The quivering lip and the hand on this boy's back. I love this picture of how together we're able to, to form rungs that rescue each other from the drowning of this life, that we find ourselves in a world that so often we feel overwhelmed by, and yet together we create this lifting up into the light. What a beautiful picture of that love that we get to help each other see and experience and fill. The gift of listening to each other as we share our hearts. And the simple sweetness of these beautiful moments. I love, I love the Starburst rappers at the end. I, I've heard it said that a good poem closes with an image that it doesn't bother to explain. And, and I think in some ways that's there in this poem. But this to me is the gift of church. That we come to learn these things, but we come to participate in these things, to practice these things. We study scripture to learn how to love better and how to let these stories transform us. We read the scriptures to look to our example, to Christ who models for us how to live. We come to participate in moments that might feel ordinary but are deeply sacred, where the good shines through, and when it does, we cling to it. Here's your assignments for the week. How often do you practice loving others? Are there any of these on Paul's list that you do naturally? Maybe it's hospitality. Maybe you have a heart that's just naturally filled with grace. Are there areas of loving and serving others that you've grown complacent in? In other words, if you're naturally drawn to one of these things, this might just be your strength. We need you living in that lane, practicing that.
Number two, are there areas that are particularly difficult for you? What could you do this week that would push you towards growth? Start with your thoughts and feelings and turn those into actions. The simple little gesture of love, the reaching out to others. And lastly, how often do you pray? How often is God a part of your thoughts and feelings? Are there some ways of reminding or checking in throughout your days and weeks? Ways of bringing you back into God's presence, reminding you that you're not alone, reminding you that your teacher is there with you, that you're living in God's school of love, that you're signed up for this course and being invited to go deeper and deeper in. And as you learn to see through God's eyes, you learn to see the good, experience the good, and live a life that is deeply abundant and beautiful.